Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Paul Etterling. I am the lead pastor of the Westerville Free Will Baptist Church. We would appreciate it if you would share, like, comment, and rate this podcast. You can also subscribe to our podcast from the platform you use to listen to podcasts. This will help our podcast become more discoverable in the podcast universe. If you would like to know more about our church, we invite you to visit us on the web at westervillechurch.org. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Now let's join today's sermon. The question I want us to ask ourselves this morning is do we have a rebellious heart? Do we have a heart of rebellion? And I know that we're sitting here and we've been engaged in worship and we believe that the gathering of the church is for believers and, and the majority of us sitting here this morning are followers of Christ. But I would suggest to you that even as followers of Christ, we still wrestle with the flesh nature. And there are still times in our hearts that we wrestle with sin and rebellion. And as we look at this subject this morning, I want us to think about what it means to be rebellious at heart. And so let me just by way of introduction just ask a question, and that is, what is rebellion? I think it's very important for us to have a good definition to understand what rebellion is so that we can help identify it in our lives. And the answer is very simple, really. Rebellion is opposition to authority. Rebellion is opposition to authority. And what I want us to understand this morning by way of introduction is that rebellion has many different degrees. It is possible for you to be sitting here this morning and have rebellion in your heart about something towards someone, but you've not yet expressed it outwardly. It's still inward. It's still a part of your heart. But yet, as we think about the different degrees of rebellion... As rebellion begins to be expressed, if, it, if it's gone far enough, it could be a violent rebellion. So it could be anywhere from just being settled in our hearts and being rebellious in our hearts and not yet expressed outwardly to being a violently expressed rebellion in our lives. And so I say that and I bring that up as point of introduction because I want us to be reminded this morning that just because you're not outright rebelling, it doesn't mean that you don't have a rebellious heart. That rebellious attitude could still be there. And so no matter what degree of rebellion exists in a person's life, it does boil down to a matter of the heart. And that's what I want us to think through this morning. Do we in any part of our heart have a place that is rebellious? And can I remind you this morning 
that because rebellion is opposition to authority, the very first sin in this world was the sin of rebellion. Matter of fact, it didn't even start in the earth. It started with Lucifer in heaven. Lucifer, the son of the morning, the shining one, decided that he could be just like God and wanted to be like God. And in his rebellion, he was cast out of heaven. And when he was cast out of heaven, he no longer is known as Lucifer. He's now known as Satan, the one who is deceptive and deceives. And when he came into the garden with Adam and Eve, that's exactly what he did with Eve, was he brought deception to her. He convinced her in his deception of her that she too could be like God that she too could eat that fruit and know the difference between good and bad. And of course, in her deception, she took the fruit, she ate it, and in doing so, rebelled. You can eat of anything in this garden, but don't touch that tree. You can't have that tree. And so in opposition to that authority, in the deception that Satan brought into the life of Eve, rebellion became a part of the human nature. Because when she took the fruit to Adam and ate, and in doing so, he too became rebellious against God. That sin that entered into the earth in that moment is the very thing that you and I fight against every day of our lives. So this morning, in 1 Samuel 15, I think we have before us the most notable example, apart from the original sin, the most notable example of rebellion. Let me set the context for you for just a moment. There are two characters here in play. Well, actually three people that we need to think about. One, of course, is the Lord. The Lord is at work here. And so we need to think about him. But the the two earthly individuals that are at play here is Samuel and Saul. And you'll recall that Samuel was a prophet of God. Saul was a king who had been established by God to lead his people. In 1 Samuel 15, what we have, however, is a situation, an example of what it means for someone to rebel against the Lord. And so I want us to look at this this morning and think about this for just a moment. And what I want you to see in verses 1 to 3 is the command of the Lord. The command of the Lord. So let's go to 1 Samuel 15, and you follow along as I read. I'm reading this morning from the ESV, the English Standard Version. And it says this, And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted that Amalek did to Israel what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. 
Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now I want you to notice here in these three verses that we've read a couple of things. First of all, notice that Samuel is God's spokesman for God. He is God's spokesman. And God has sent him directly to King Saul. Now you say, why is that important? Well, I think it's important because we must realize that there are people in our lives that God has set over us as authority figures in our lives. And so while Saul may have thought that he was just disregarding what Samuel was saying to him, in reality, this was not Samuel speaking to him. It was God speaking to him through Samuel. And Samuel is very clear here. It is the Lord who sent me to anoint you king over all of Israel. He's very clear that this is not his mission, but that he is on mission with God to do what God sent him to do. And so the word of instruction that Samuel gives in these first three verses to Saul, coming from God through him, the instruction was very simple. Destroy Amalek. Period. Now we have to ask the question, why? And you'll see the reference there in those first three verses that God has said that he's taken note of what Amalek did when Israel came up out of Egypt. It's a reference back to the time when Israel crossed the Red Sea. After they crossed the Red Sea, they had camped out on the other side of the Red Sea. They were getting some rest for themselves. They were preparing uh, to do whatever needed to be done the next day. And they're there. And while they're camping out, having crossed the Red Sea, Amalek attacks them. Amalek was a sworn enemy of God's people. Amalek, as God was bringing them across the Red Sea in the Exodus out of Egypt, Amalek tried to destroy what God was doing by destroying God's people, or at least attempting to destroy God's people. So Amalek, from that time forward, was a persistent sworn enemy to Israel. And make no mistake about it. When there are people coming against God's people, God will have the last word. And so in chapter 15, even though this seems to be very harsh, I mean, he's, he's telling them to kill everyone and everything. But listen, when there is a holy, righteous, just God, his holiness, righteousness, and justice must be satisfied. And this was God taking vengeance upon the enemy of his people. Now, you and I look at that and we say, how terrible is that? But can I tell you that in our unholy lives, we cannot even begin to understand the holiness of God's mind in pouring out this judgment upon them. And so in verses 1 to 3, we have that command. Then as we move into verses 4 to 9, we see this is where the contradiction happens. Let's begin in verse 4. 
So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telium, 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. And so the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fattened calves, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Now you immediately see the problem here. Saul goes to to the Amalekites, Amalek, but he does not do what God commanded him to do. He contradicts God's command. And in contradicting God's command, he opposes that authority in his life and rebellion is expressed. Now notice some things here. It all, it all boils down to this. He kept the best for himself while doing away with all that was worthless. Think about this. He spared the Kenites. And you think, why why is that important? Why would he spare that group of people? Well, here's why. Because they were coppersmiths. And they were metal workers. So in his mind, he's probably thinking, I could use them. I need some people to help me. And since they are good with metal and since they're good with copper, I think I'll spare their lives, especially since they were so good to the people of Israel when we came up out of the Red Sea. And so he spares the Kenites probably because of selfishness and what they could do for him. Notice Agag the king. God told him to destroy everything. So he's, his first sin was that he didn't destroy the Kenites with the Amalekites. His second sin was that he did not destroy Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a real in-depth military mind, and, and I don't get into military stuff a lot, but if I'm going to war against someone, I would think the number one target would be the leader. Saul thought differently. He said, God, God, I know what you said. I know that you said to destroy everything, but the Kenites, they they can help me because they're coppersmith, they're metal workers. Uh, Agag, man, he's the leader. I I just think I need him on my side, so I'm going to spare him. And then the third aspect of his rebellion is that he took all the livestock that was the good livestock. All the livestock that he could use for sacrifices. All the lambs that were perfect. All the rest of the livestock. He he takes them and spares them and does not kill them. So there are three things in this rebellion that he does that God told him not to do. He spared the Kenites. 
He took Agag captive and left him and spared his life. And then he took the best livestock and kept them for himself. What you see here is this rebellion of Saul is a prime example for us that rebellion is a disregard and a disobedience to the command of God. So what happens? Well, you come to verses 10 to 16 and God being the holy, righteous, just God that he is cannot allow sin to go undealt with. And so he sends Samuel back to Saul to confront Saul. So let's begin in verse 10. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel... Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and he turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and said to Saul to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. Now let's just stop right there for a moment and think about what is happening. Samuel, God comes to Samuel and says, you need to go back to Saul and you need to confront him. And there's an anger that rises up within Samuel. Now don't read more into the text than what's here. It does not say that he's angry with God. Samuel being a prophet of God, Samuel being a righteous person himself, I think this anger was not with God. It was with the fact that Saul disobeyed his God. It's a what we would call righteous anger, a justified anger. And may I tell you that in the church today, we need more righteous, justified anger against sin because we've become way too passive when it comes to dealing with sin in our lives. But what I want you to see here is that as he's confronted, Saul comes to Samuel and and he, he tries to put on the best front he can. He greets Samuel and says, blessed be the Lord. I mean, after all, isn't that the way we do when we come into church on Sundays and Wednesdays? We don't want people to know there's a problem in our hearts, so we put on a front. We want people to think better of us than what we really are. And so he, he greets Saul, and, and Saul confronts him, or Samuel confronts him, excuse me, and notice what Saul does. Saul does exactly what we do when we're in trouble. I didn't take the livestock, the people did. He played the blame game. 
which, by the way, was part of the original sin in the garden. Eve, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, the serpent blamed God. It hasn't changed. It's still in our lives. It's still a part of the sin of our lives. And so he, he begins making all these excuses. Oh, the people did that. I, I, I devoted everyone to destruction, but, but the people decided. And notice what Saul, Samuel says to Saul, being the prophet of God that he is. He looks at Saul and he says, Stop! Enough! Now, if you've ever been a parent... You understand that. Because that very same thing that Saul is displaying in his rebellion is the very same thing that all of us as sinful human beings have done. We make excuses and we try to pass the buck and play the blame game. Matter of fact, Saul made the excuses when he said that he devoted everyone to destruction and yet Samuel is saying, but I hear some sheep, I hear some oxen. The point is this, be sure your sin will find you out. Saul was putting on the best front he could. Saul was making excuses and trying to pass the blame for everything that happened. But the fact of the matter is that God is an all-knowing God. And if there is sin involved, your sin will find you out because God will not let it go. So when you come to verses 17 to 23, Samuel now begins to speak to Saul after Saul's made all of his excuses and and in confronting him, there's a condemnation that's laid upon Saul in verse 17. And Samuel said, though you are you on a mission and said, go devote the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are cons consumed. And then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things that they devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to, our, to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination and presumption is an inquiry and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord and you have rejected, you've been rejected from being king. Notice what Samuel says. He makes no bones about it. He says, look, Saul, here's the deal. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Hearing the word of God and responding to the word of God and obeying the word of God is better than the rams. It's better than any perfect lamb that you could offer in that sacrifice. 
But I want you to key in on verse 23 for just a moment because here we have a biblical definition or comparison. It's an illustration, a metaphor for rebellion. Verse 23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of divination. In our day, we would call that witchcraft. And presumption is as inquiry and idolatry. Now, this should not surprise us. Because any time that we rebel against God, what we have done is we've allowed our lust and our pride to be built up in us to say, I know better than what God does. And when we set ourselves up above God to say, we're going to do it our way, we have just engaged in idolatry. Because idolatry is putting anything above God in our lives. Even ourselves. And so here is... Samuel confronting and condemning Saul for his actions and he makes no bones about it. You are as good as being involved in witchcraft and you are filled with iniquity and idolatry. Now I don't know about you, but when I consider what we've sung about this morning, how that God has loved us in that he demonstrated his love for us that when we were unworthy and unlovable, he still loved us enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, and he poured his grace out upon us through Jesus Christ. When I consider all of that and what God has done for us to restore hope and to give us the help that we need to be reconciled with him, how could any of us want to desire to do anything but please the Lord? And yet here is Saul being accused of being involved in witchcraft, full of sin, and idolatry. And so as we move to verses 24 to 31, that condemnation comes down, and now we see the consequences. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned to go away. Samuel seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. And so Samuel turned back from Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Now if you take this at face value... You might say, well, isn't that great? Saul repented. But I want to suggest to you today that Saul did not repent. Saul might have been sorry that he got caught. But there was not a true repentance here. Because if there were true repentance, instead of waiting to go bow before the Lord later, he would have bowed before the Lord then. 
Instead of directing his comments to Samuel, he would have directed his comments to the Lord. You see, because of Jesus Christ, you and I don't need to confess our sin to a priest or a bishop or anyone like that. We have, priest, we have what we call the priesthood of all believers, which we see Peter addressing in the New Testament, which means that we can fall before the Lord any place, any time, and confess our sin. And so what you see here is that in the consequences of rebellion, even though, even though he was supposedly repenting, Samuel's last word to him is, you have been removed as king. See, if he was truly repenting, God probably would have left him as king. But he didn't. He did not repent. And so he was removed. Can I remind you this morning that there are always consequences to our rebellion? No matter if it's just a rebellion of the heart that's not yet been expressed outwardly or if it's an outward expression, no matter what degree of rebellion it is, there are always consequences to our rebellion. And so in verses 32 and 33, and I'm I won't keep you much longer, but in verses 32 to 33, what you find is the completion of God's command because be reminded that God will always deal righteously and justly. And in verses 32 and 33, Samuel said, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so your mother shall be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. God's command was completed. It was not completed in the way that he originally commanded it to be completed because Saul rebelled. But Samuel, being a man of God, knew that he could not let this go. And he completed the command that should have been Saul's responsibility. Let it never be said of you. Let it never be said of me. Let it never be said of this church that God used someone else to complete the command that he's given to us. So in verses 34 and 35, probably the saddest verses in all of Scripture as it relates, especially to Saul, but maybe all of Scripture. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gilbeah of Saul, and Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Your rebellion affects others. Now, I don't fully understand God's regret here. I do know that God has emotion because he's given us emotion. And I do understand that God has a perfect plan for this world and, 
And so I don't understand all that's tied up here in the fact that God regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. But I can identify with Samuel. Because here's Samuel, grieving over Saul. Saul may have been a king that had great potential. He may have been a king that could have led Israel, and yet he rebelled. And Samuel is grieving over him. Your rebellion will affect others around you. If you're a parent, you know this to be true. Because there's nothing more heartbreaking than watching your child walk in rebellion. Even as a close friend, if you have a close friend who is walking rebellion, that even breaks your heart. Your sin, your rebellion, affects the lives of others. So the question I want to ask today is this. Do you have a heart of rebellion? Doesn't matter how small that rebellion is, doesn't matter how great that rebellion is, but do you have a heart of rebellion? Is there a disregard and perhaps even outright disobedience for the word of God in your heart and life? Is there a disregard for the authority figures that God has put in place over you in your life? If so, you have a heart of rebellion. And what God desires for us is to recognize that rebellion and in recognizing that rebellion to repent of it, to turn from it, to confess it, to agree with him, Say, God, I've walked away from you. I've walked in rebellion. I've not done what you've commanded me to do. And I'm confessing that to you today. Lord, forgive me. Restore me. Bring me back into a right, intimate relationship with you. Do you have a heart of rebellion? Even as a follower of Christ, are there things in your life that you'd rather do it your way than God's way? God is calling us to repent. Thank you once again for downloading this week's podcast of the Sunday Sermon. If you would be so kind to take a moment to like, share, rate, comment, and subscribe to this podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. This will help us become more discoverable in the podcast universe. Until next week, may God bless you with a great week.